As we finish the letter from 1 Peter this week and next, we find the former disciple of Jesus today talking about those who lead in the church. As I was doing my study this week, I found a few quotes on leadership for the front of the bulletin, which you will see. And while I was doing that, my good friends at Google, some days I think of them as good friends, gave me the suggestion that I might want to look up quotes about bad leadership instead of inspiring ones. Intrigued, I clicked on it and found that they were quite right. So these quotes that I'm going to read to you are in the negative voice, which we don't tend to use, but sometimes thinking of things negatively helps our brains to think about truth in a different way than looking at things always in the best light. So here we go. Bad leaders care about who is right. Good leaders care about what is right. People don't leave bad jobs. They leave bad leaders. Leaders who don't listen will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. What? Now we're getting there. <laughs> Leaders who seek only power and control will end up losing both. Bad leaders believe their team works for them. Great leaders believe they work for their team. You can tell a bully from a leader by how they treat people who disagree with them. Nothing will kill a great employee faster than watching you tolerate a bad one. Oh, amen. <laughs> Lastly, bad leadership is an oxymoron. <laughs> amen, people. These are so good. Thank you, Google. You were my friend this week. All right. <laughs> now, as we hear these quotes, we recognize situations we have been in. Maybe we see ourselves. We are people who need to be reminded about how to treat others, which is what this passage today is about. Peter is exhorting the overseers to be shepherds of the flock, to tend the sheep in their care and to lead well. When people are supposed to lead but opt out of that responsibility, it's hard for those to, who look to them, whether it's in a classroom or a company or a nation or a family, this is a call to leaders to have integrity with God and what God expects. Our passage today is about motivation and attitude and how the church is meant to function. So while I read the passage, allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to you. What does this mean for you? Let's hear what the Lord is saying through 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. Now, as an elder myself and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you to tend the flock of God that is in your charge, exercising the oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you do it, not for sordid gain, but eagerly. Do not lord it over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will win the crown of glory that never fades away. In the same way, you who are younger must be subject to the elders, and all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we are here to learn from you, directly from you. 
So Holy Spirit, teach us, guide us. Jesus, you are our shepherd. Surround us with your honest and tender love. Amen. In our passage today, Peter is giving an exhortation. So just as a quick reminder, an exhortation is a stronger version of encouragement. In Romans 12, we see that exhortation is a spiritual gift. Sometimes it can be used with an argument. It can have a pleading component to it. It's an urge that someone is giving to see truth from a different perspective or to have someone act in a different way via persuasion. In the New Testament, it's often relational. As we see, Peter is exhorting the elders of the church to be good leaders. And his words today naturally fall into five short categories that we're briefly going to look at this morning. The basis for the exhortation that we find in verse 1, the exhortation itself that we find in verses 2 and 3, a promise in verse 4, a directive to the younger ones in verse 5, and lastly, the reason for the exhortation also in 5. So so let's begin with verse 1, which is the basis for uh, Peter's exhortation. Peter lays down two main ideas for why the church should hear his ideas about leadership. The first thing Peter does is to speak to them as peers. He tells them he understands what it is to be an elder. He can speak to the notion of being a leader in the church because he's been there since the beginning. Now, while this gives him instant cachet and authority really over them, that's not how he frames this argument. He frames the argument as one of them. What is an elder? Let's be reminded about that too. In Moses' time, uh, when Moses was in charge and it was getting overwhelming, he called on 70 individuals to come and help lead the people. And God gave them the Holy Spirit and anointed them as elders. And from that time on, elders became a regular part of the structure of Judaism. They served as prophets and administrators, advisors to the kings, and served in the synagogue. In the early church, being an elder continued to be a main responsibility. Paul ordained elders when he started churches. Again, they were given authority to preach or to oversee logistics or finances or a certain segment of the work. At the Council of Jerusalem, they played a major role. They're teachers and evangelists and those who help to guide the flock. Many churches today have elder boards, or the people who serve in higher positions are called elders. In our denomination, those who are ordained by the laying on of hands are called elders. You have nine of them in this church, including two who are uh, retired. Now, since new pastors are physically touched by other elders who came before them in ordination, Anyone who has been ordained through physical contact can trace their ordination back to Jesus. It's actually kind of a cool thing and a very sacred office. So Peter is speaking here to those who hold the role of overseer in the early church. And look what he says next. Not only is he an elder, but he says that he is a witness to the sufferings of Jesus and someone who shares in the glory to be revealed. Now again, he could brag, but he's not doing that. He's using these words to remind them of their common ground. Now, it might seem obvious, but we have to always remember that an elder in the church needs to be a witness of God's suffering, of the Lord's suffering. 
And that an elder in the church needs to look forward to the day of Jesus' return. Those are experiential credentials. Every leader in the church, ordained or not, should have personally met Jesus and be an ongoing witness of the truth of God's presence. Peter says an elder should personally understand the sufferings of Christ, the sufferings of Christ on the cross, the sufferings that Christ goes through with us every single day, the sorrows of the Lord. He was so acquainted with sorrows. We are acquainted with sorrows. God meets us in those sorrows. And also the glory of Christ. Christ lives in glory. But let's be honest. Sometimes the leading of the church can become about all different kinds of things like personal agendas and money and reacting to culture and church politics and the form and ritual of worship and programs. But if an elder in the church, clergy or lay, is not focusing on the suffering and the glory and the presence of Jesus, that church is in trouble. As an elder, I continually come back to why it is that I do this job. It's because of the sufferings of Christ. On my behalf, on your behalf, on the behalf of the world, it's because of the glory that Christ lives in that we will one day see the God who suffers for us and with us and the honor that we are meant to bring him. That's what Peter's talking about. So the foundation of this word's to the church so that we are witnesses of Jesus' suffering and hope. So in verses 2 and 3, we go to the exhortation itself. There are four things that Peter says here. So this is the exhortation itself. The first truth he gives is, the first tend the flock in your charge, he says. Peter begins with the exhortation by reminding pastors, the church does not belong to them. This is God's flock of sheep. Peter says, tend the flock of God that is in your care. And then he says, exercise oversight. Do you know what that means? Exercise oversight means to lead. It means to lead well. In the Bible, the shepherd imagery is so beautiful, and we are so acquainted with it for pastors. For Peter, this is personal. Because three times after the resurrection, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. And Peter said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. Jesus is the one who looked with compassion on those who were harassed without a shepherd. He is the one who calls himself the good shepherd. This is Jesus' job. And then he has people who care for his sheep. The sheep know God's voice. Jesus promises to go and find the lost sheep no matter what. Peter says, tend God's sheep well. And then Peter says, don't lead because you have to, but because you are willing. Leading in the church is not an easy job. A person really needs to want to do it. Can I get an amen? Mm-hmm. Peter is saying that we should examine why we do it and see if our attitude is a willing heart. Because when leadership is a drudgery for someone, imagine how it is for those who follow them. Bad attitudes lead to bad situations. We see this in every profession. But I was thinking about one of my high school teachers. He taught math, but he didn't want to be there. 
Nope, he wanted to be out on the field being a coach. But instead, the school said, if you want to do a little of that, you've got to do a lot of math. We need you to teach. So we would come in, and the assignment would be on the board. But he didn't teach anything. He told us to be quiet while he read the paper and drank his coffee and made fun of us. If you needed help, you needed to go ask a smart student. Do you understand now maybe why I married a math professor? <laughs> Do you see why I needed that in my life and the Lord knew? You see, the teacher was there under some kind of like compulsion. And the students who had him struggled because of it. See, if a leader in the church doesn't want to lead but does it anyway, there's a lot of hurt that happens, and the people feel like a burden. But we can see that those who lead willingly with joy and purpose and excitement and creativity, people thrive under that kind of care. The next thing Peter says is, don't lead the church for your own gain. Peter is saying, that elders shouldn't lead in order to take advantage of people. Don't lead for your own selfish motivation, whatever that looks like. Now, we know that the church is an easy target for those who have hidden agendas. Do leaders start out this way, or does it just happen? When there's lack of oversight, lack of accountability, when they get power, coupled with high authority, All the time, we're still reading about situations or knowing them firsthand where pastors take explicit advantage of people. And so many, so many have been harmed. So many won't even like talk to God or talk about him or, or want to look at him or a church. And Peter's exhortation is for those who lead. And also, this is an exhortation for those who are led. Pay attention. Ask questions when you see red flags, when you see a shepherd who seems to be taking advantage of a situation or a person in some way, but instead are fueling their own unrighteous motivations. Ask, ask about that. Talk to somebody about that. The fourth thing that Peter says here is don't lord power. Don't lord your power over those who are entrusted to you, but be an example of what it means to serve. Jesus talked about this. This is Jesus 101. Don't be like the leaders who want to be seen as being holy. Don't be like the leaders who want to be seen as better than others, who make people jump through hoops just because they can, who, who put rules in front of people. And we might add, don't be a leader who micromanages or leads in chaotic ways or who doesn't communicate or who steals ideas or blames other people for their mistakes, who create unhealthy systems where employees have to learn the unspoken rules of engagement and then adhere to those rules or else. Now, Dr. King has a beautiful sermon about this called The Drum Major Instinct. It's from the book of Mark, and about the two disciples, James and John, asking Jesus if they can sit on his right and left hand when he comes into his glory. And Dr. King says, automatically, when we read that passage, we condemn James and John for their request. Yes, I do. Yes, I have. That is exactly right. We say, man, that is so selfish. I can't believe they did that. The disciples got mad about it. But Dr. King says, when we look at ourselves, we see that same desire to be first. 
that we might have done that to Jesus ourselves. Before we condemn them, Dr. King says we should look inside because all of us have the drum major instinct. This is the instinct to be important, to surpass others, to achieve distinction, to lead the parade. I encourage you to read the entire sermon because he goes into great detail about how the drum major instinct is real and how we see it play out throughout our lives and in our society and in the world. It's a natural part of being human, he says. But there's a time when the drum major instinct can become destructive. If it's not harnessed, the drum major instinct can lead to boasting and trying to get attention in negative ways and trying to push others down in order to be above them. The drum major instinct can lead to exclusivity and racial prejudice. It can lead people and churches and nations to believe that they are the best over everyone else. But that is not God's way. God makes it clear who he is, that he is the great I am, and that he does not play by human rules, and he will not be trifled with. We are to be still and know him. Where Dr. King ends his sermon, though, is brilliant. Jesus didn't say to those audacious disciples, that's selfish. He didn't say, you're out of your place, sit down. Jesus acknowledged their need to be significant and great. Jesus affirms that the instinct is a good one if used right, if not distorted. And Dr. King quotes what he thinks what Jesus goes on to say and adds a little bit of his own thoughts. He says, Jesus says, keep feeling the need for being important. Keep feeling the need for being first. But I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in moral excellence. I want you to be first in generosity. That's what I want you to do. And then Jesus transforms the whole idea of greatness. The one who is greatest among you is the one who serves. That's Peter's message. An elder must be an example to the flock in humility and love. Amen. In verse 4, Peter gives a promise for those who lead well, a crown of glory. When the chief shepherd comes, Peter says, may he be pleased with what you've done. I was kind of thinking this week, yeah, I don't really need a crown. Yeah, I'm good. But then I thought, but I would love God to tell me that he's proud of me right? Don't we want God to, to, to think that we're doing a good job? Oftentimes, we look at God and think that he's unhappy all the time, or he's a stern taskmaster, but God is so pleased. Like, we are pleased with our children when they're thriving and happy and living in who they are. It's our relationship with God that determines the kind of shepherds we are and the kind of shepherds that we have. What we believe about Jesus, how well we receive his love, how well we relate to him as Savior will determine how we lead and how we are led. Because leading is meant to be an act of worship. How we treat others for whom we carry responsibility is what the Lord cares about. And he's very proud when we do that well. In verse 5, Peter talks to the younger members of the church. It's a theme in Peter that we have seen to give examples of relationship where the power differential is tilted to one side. 
And then to turn it around to mutual submission. Wives, masters, and, and, and husbands, masters, and slaves. Here he's talking about those who are younger being subject to the elders who are leading the church. Those who are younger should be willing to listen to the wisdom of those who are mature in the faith. Those who go before us can offer their experience and knowledge and how it is that we are raised up. But in the church, it's also a gift to have the young teach us to have the young give us their perspective and how they see the world and what they think is important. And in that way, we mutually teach one another. If we clothe ourselves with humility, Peter says, as we relate to each other, that can happen more readily. And then he ends with the reason for the exhortation where he quotes from Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride, the core of all sin, causes us to have relational difficulty. Pride re causes us to rebel against God. Pride puffs us up to the delusion that we are equal with God, that we are better than others. And God says, no, no. Pride is elevating ourselves to the place where we think that we are on par with God. I don't think that Adam and Eve would have said that, but that's what they did. That's what their words and their actions did and their temptation when they acted on it. Being humble means to lower ourselves in, in subjection to God. It means to humble ourselves and to um, surrender ourselves to God. And this is the main, the main idea that Peter is trying to get across to us. And so in the places where we lead, in the places where you lead and you have influence, is there a place where you need to be more humble? It's a question we always have to be asking ourselves. Peter is a great leader. He understands the nature of God, what the church is about. He understands human strengths and weaknesses and opportunities. He trusts the future that the church is going to be living into. While we struggle with the brokenness of being human, we have capacity to change. We have capacity to make new patterns. And Peter is appealing to our awareness of the poor choices that leaders can make. Most of his mistakes are on display for everyone to see in the Gospels. And as Jesus intentionally raised him up, Peter was able to find wisdom, to be able to harness his drum major instinct. That's what he's calling the church to today. He's saying resentfulness and self-seeking power and uh, being hungry for those things and prideful leaders are going to destroy what God is trying to accomplish. And so as we close, I just, I just want you to think about the image of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Because that's an image that I cling to a lot as your pastor. There's so much in that picture that I want us to live into as we go out into our community and our world to serve others. There's so much in that picture that I want us to think about and how we love one another and treat one another. But before we can wash other people's feet, we have to allow Jesus to wash our feet. We have to allow him to heal us, to speak words of life to us, See, we don't go out with good intentions and with a sound Judeo-Christian uh, belief system. 
we go out in the grace and the blood and the humility and the power of our Lord. And so if there's a different motivation that we have for why we're going out and doing God's good work, we need to rethink that because we want to go out and give what we have been given. This is why we daily take time to fill up why we are called to die to ourselves and what we want and why we freely elevate Jesus. So let's take time with the Lord. Freely we have received. Freely the Lord wants us to go and to give. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.